All right, we are on chapter six. There are only ten chapters in this book, so we are halfway through. Chapter six is called The Tunnel. They dug all night. Kip started the process by cutting with his thinnest saw through the top layer of a square piece of plywood. He chose a section of flooring in the farthest corner from the door and the windows, and his saw cut was his saw cut was so fine that when the piece was replaced it was hard to see where the cut was then he used an iron crowbar to lever the thin sliver of wood off of the floor this was to be their trap door once that was done all three men began to saw and drill and chisel their way downward using the tools that kip and frank had in their kits The idea was to burrow down into the plywood, cutting first a pit big enough so that even the largest among them could fit into it. Then they would begin to dig sideways, carving out a horizontal tunnel. At first, there was nothing for Measle, Kitty, Lady Grant, and Prudence to do. But soon, a pile of wood chips had grown by the side of the excavation, and the question arose. Where do we put the debris? Basil's sure to see that, said Kip. Sweat was running down his face. We shall have to hide it somewhere, said Prudence. But where? They looked around the big room. There was no place that wasn't visible through the tall windows, except, perhaps, for a narrow section immediately beneath the window sills. If we spread the stuff along the wall here, said Kip, There's a chance that he won't be able to see it without removing the whole building, and I don't think he'll do that. Now Measle, Kitty, Prudence, and Lady Grant had a job to do. They collected armfuls of debris and spread it along the walls beneath the windows of the room. At first, Lady Grant carefully brushed the sawdust off her Chanel suit after every trip, but she soon gave up and hardly complained at all. It took most of the night before the pit was dug deep enough to allow them to start the horizontal tunnel, and the pile of debris that Measle and his helpers had cleared away was almost up to the bottoms of the window sills. Frank was standing in the pit. His head just reached level with the top. He stopped drilling for a moment and said, "'How thick is this plywood, Kip?' Three quarters of an inch. Why? Well, if we're half an inch tall, most of us anyway, that means there's only a quarter of an inch left under our our feet. It seems to me that it might be an idea to keep going until we break through. Break through, said William dubiously. We could all fall to nasty, sticky deaths. Frank shook his head. Not if we're careful, William. My idea is this. If we could cut a small hole down at the bottom of this pit and make sure it wasn't so big that somebody could fall through, then we'd have a way of disposing of the rest of the debris. I think you've got something there, said Kip. We're so far from the ground that the stuff is sure to disperse on the way down. I don't think it would form much of a heap, so Basil may not notice anything. They attacked the wood, and 20 minutes later, Kip said, Hold it. We're there. 
He sent the other two men out of the pit, and then carefully he chiseled out a small hole. He gathered some wood chips and dropped them through the small opening, watching them drift down through the still air and noticing with satisfaction that they scattered over the distant floor below, so as to be almost unnoticeable. Well, it works, he called, and everybody clustered around the top of the tunnel. Looking down made Measle dizzy. The floor of the attic seemed hundreds, even thousands of feet behind him. Now we can start work on the tunnel, said Kip. We'll make regular holes in the bottom, just like this one. <coughs> that way we can get rid of the chips and get breathing air at the same time. Come on, everybody, back to work. Measle, Lady Grant, Prudence, and Kitty went back to the surface while the three men set to work. They talked a little until one by one they fell asleep. Only Measle stayed awake. Sometime during the early hours of the morning, Measle heard the crack, crack, crack of the huge bat's wings as it flew overhead. The others started awake at the sound. It's come back from hunting, said Prudence. Back from where? From outside. It checks out the attic first and eats anything that moves. That's why there aren't any insects up here. Then it flies out through the broken window and comes back shortly before dawn. Prudence looked at her watch. There you are. It's five o'clock in the morning. It'll be light soon. Where's the creature now? asked Measle nervous, nervously, nervously. Back in its roost up in the rafters. It'll sleep now until night comes again. Prudence went to the pit and called down. It's almost dawn, boys. How are you doing? William popped out his head out of the tunnel. He was covered in sawdust and wood chips, and he looked very tired. Not bad for a slightly overweight encyclopedia salesman, he said. Come and have a look. Measle went first, dropping down into the pit. William moved to one side, and Measle peered into the tunnel. He could see Kip and Frank at the far end, still chipping and drilling and sawing at the wooden surface. The tunnel was about two and a half inches long. That's brilliant, said Measle, meaning it. Prudence climbed down, with the help of William. How long before Basil comes back, she asked. He always sleeps pretty late, said Measle. I reckon we're safe until nine o'clock. William looked at his watch. Another four hours. We can dig a lot farther in four hours. <coughs> the three men kept going. As soon as it was light, Measle, Lady Grant, Prudence, and Kitty went out into search, in search of food and drink. Measle led them to a spot near the rail yards where he'd found Frank, and they stuffed Lady Grant's handbag with donut crumbs. Lady Grant started to tell them that her handbag was extremely expensive, having been made for her by an exclusive firm in Rome, Italy, and that perhaps donut crumbs were not the most appropriate object to put in such a costly creation. But Prudence cut her short by saying, now come along, dear. There isn't time for all that. Lady Grant went a little pink and closed her mouth and said nothing more. She followed meekly as they walked quickly along the railway tracks to the water tower. 
Frank had given Measle a plastic bucket, and Measle climbed up the ladder on the side of the water tower and dipped the bucket into the water. He passed it down to Prudence and then climbed back down himself. This should last a while, said Prudence. They hurried back to the town hall. Inside, the men were taking a break. All three were hot and dusty and very thirsty, and they drank the water and ate the donut crumbs with gratitude. When they had finished, Measle took the smallest piece of carrot from the paper bag and cut four little chips from it and gave each man one. I hope this works, said William, swallowing his carrot chip in one gulp. Frank said, it's 8.30. We ought to hide now just to be on the safe side. One by one, they dropped down into the pit. Kip went last, bringing a protesting tinker with him. He pulled the square sheet of plywood over his head, fitting it exactly over the hole. Let's hope Basil doesn't notice the cut, he said. Frank said, that's as fine a cut as I've ever seen. And remember, it's pretty dark inside the town hall. Even with Basil's flashlight, I don't think he'll see a thing. Measle had expected complete darkness once the cover had been put in place, but the little hole at the bottom of the pit let in a small amount of light, so they were able to see the tunnel entrance. They all crawled into the rough burrow. It was now three inches long, more than enough room for all of them. There was another small hole drilled into the floor of the tunnel near the spot where it ended, and the light from this allowed them to see one another clearly. What now? said Lady Grant. Now we wait. They didn't have to wait long. Soon they heard Basil's heavy tread coming up the attic stairs. Then the creak of the attic door. Then Basil's booming voice, muffled now by the quarter inch of plywood over their heads. Good morning, Measle. I trust you slept well. I have my tweezers, dear boy. Once I've replaced my special little victims, I shall come looking for you. And when I find you, I think I shall turn you into something even more unpleasant than what you are now. A dirty, disobedient little creature. An insect, perhaps? Yes. A nasty, dirty insect. Measle shivered, and Prudence put her arm around his shoulders. Don't listen to him, she whispered. He won't do anything to you. He shan't let, we shan't let him. Measle didn't see how they could stop Basil doing whatever he wanted, but in, but it was kind of Prudence to pretend that they could. He remembered something that she'd said the day before and a tiny seed of an idea began to germinate in his brain. He kept quiet, because the idea wasn't yet fully formed in his mind. The roar shook the tunnel. What's this? What's going on? Where are they all? The roar became a low rumble of rage, but through the anger in Basil's voice, Measle thought, he detected a slight tone of uneasiness, as though Basil, <coughs> for the first time in his mad and evil life, had met with something he couldn't understand. Oh, Measle, you 
wicked, wicked boy. What have you done with my little plastic victims? Where have you put them, eh? And why? Well, we shall find them and make no mistake about that. They can't have gone far, can they? Not with legs as stiff as theirs, and neither can you. And when I find you, yes, definitely an insect. A cockroach, perhaps. They heard Basil moving slowly around the great table. Sometimes the wood that surrounded them creaked when Basil leaned his great weight on it. And once their tunnel shook, as though in an earthquake, when Basil bumped the edge of the table with his hip. Then they heard the thump of foot, his footsteps returning. Very clever, Measle, most ingenious. I confess I've looked everywhere, and my victims are nowhere to be seen. Not on the table, not on the floor. So, what have you done with them? And all by yourself, too. Most impressive, Measle. And now I am very angry, very angry indeed. And do you know what I do when I am very angry indeed? I don't get hot like some angry people do. No. I get very cold, as cold as ice, like this. Measle shivered again, but this time, not from fear. There was an icy chill coming up through the hole in the tunnel floor. He looked at the others, huddled in the dim light, and he saw that their breath was coming out of their mouths in clouds of steam. What's happening? whispered Lady Grant. It's Basil, said Prudence her teeth beginning to chatter. He's making it cold. We can't survive this for long, said Frank, bundling his blue coat around him. We'll freeze to death, Kip said. If it's this cold in here, it's a lot colder out there. Wood is a great insulator. I don't feel very insulated, said Williams. My bones are beginning to ache. Tinker whined softly. He could feel a film of ice forming on his wet nose. This is no good, no good at all. How am I expected to smell anything with this with a rotten great iceberg on my snout? He shuffled around and pushed his nose against Measle's jacket. Ah, much better, but now my toes are beginning to freeze. He tucked his stumpy legs under his body and huddled closer to the smelly kid. Measle could feel little Kitty shivering next to him, and he wondered if her tears would turn to ice. Then, a moment later, the cold began to decrease. The icy wind whistling up through the hole began to slacken off, and soon the temperature was back to normal. Then Basil's voice boomed out again. Cold enough for you, was it, Measle? Well, tomorrow it will be much colder. That was just a taste of what's to come, Measle. Tomorrow it will be ten times colder, and for much, much longer. At the end, you'll be frozen solid like an ice cube. And that means you'll be dead, Measle. Unless, of course, I find my little victims back where they belong. Then I won't freeze you solid, Measle, no. I shall just turn you into a nasty little cockroach, and you can scuttle about the tabletop for as long as you like, or at least 
for as long as Cuddlebug will let you. Which will it be, Measle, death by freezing or life as a cockroach? I know which one I would choose. There's a saying, Measle, where there's life, there's hope. Choose wisely. So until tomorrow, Measle. There was a familiar thump, thump, thump as Basil moved away to the attic door. A creak and then the sound of a door closing, followed by the thump, thump, thump as Basil descended the stairs. For a long time, everybody sat in silence. Then Measles said, I'm sorry. For what, said Prudence? For all this, putting you in danger. Measles, said Frank, putting both of his hands on Measles' shoulders. There's nothing to be sorry about. Basil's right about one thing. Where there's life, there's hope. You brought us back to life, and that means you gave us hope. And we've got 24 hours to think of something, said Kip. What if we plug up the holes, asked William. You said wood is a good insulator. Kip shook his head. It's good, but it's not that good. Not against that kind of cold. And if we plug up the holes, we'll run out of air pretty fast, said Frank. What I don't understand, said Lady Grant, is why that revolting creature didn't freeze us all solid there and then. Why wait till tomorrow? I'm fairly sure, said Prudence slowly, that Basil can only do one major spell every 24 hours. It takes a lot of energy to do a major spell like that freezing one. You know about the spells? asked Frank. Do you know how he does them? Oh, heavens, no, said Prudence. And it's all theory, really. But from my observations of wizards and warlocks and wrath monks, it doesn't seem that there's a limit to their abilities. It does seem that there's a limit to their abilities. Big spells, like chilling a whole room down to sub-zero temperatures... Well, they take some doing. Besides, Basil wants us all back where he put us, and he wants Measle to do it. And Measle can't do it if he's frozen, can he? Measle was thinking hard. The idea he'd had a few minutes before was growing fast. Prudence had said that a wrath monk's spell was stronger than the wrath monk. Then, perhaps, what if the direction of the spell could somehow be changed? Measle took a deep breath. Then he said, I think we should let Basil turn me into a cockroach. What? said Lady Grant, her mouth dropping open in astonishment. Why on earth would we want to let him do that? No, Measle, said Frank. No, we can't let that happen to you. Besides, said Lady Grant with a shudder, I hate cockroaches, ugly, revolting things. Measle shook his head. He turned to Prudence and said, Look, if you're right, there's a good chance he won't succeed. It's risky, but it might just work. And anyway, there's nothing else we can do. Then he told them his idea. End of chapter 3